Hi, my name is John Hastings. This is Movie Thoughts. This is the 22nd episode. It's a little bit different. One, I'm trying to do a, um, I'm trying to do a video uh, part of the podcast as well as the actual podcast. We'll see how that goes. I had been doing weekly episodes, but that's um, since the the since um, the last couple of weeks, I've been kind of busy dealing with different issues due to uh, my day job, uh, reacting to uh, the coronavirus and trying to figure out the best ways that we can continue to deliver um, kind of psychiatric and mental health care to folks. So I, I've been a little busy with that as well as taking care of my family. So I've uh, fallen behind on uh, doing this podcast. Having said that, I wanted to try to get an episode in. As always, we've got a, uh, a Facebook fan page at Movie Thoughts uh, Podcast. And you can follow my letterbox reviews at that site under the username Forager23. As I said, this is the, the 22nd episode. So uh, just to do a quick episode, this is kind of one that I threw together pretty quickly. And it's just going to recommend a couple recent movies I saw that you can still catch on streaming. Uh, one is they're going to be on streaming for a while, I would guess. And the other is going to be leaving in a week or so. But I think I thought I'd talk about those. And... Um, they're a little bit different, but uh, I thought I'd uh, kind of had, had some interesting things to say about them. Uh, it doesn't really go together, so this is kind of a, a, a split personality episode. So the first movie I want to talk about is um, a movie I really thought was terrific. It's the new Netflix movie, or the Netflix movie from last year by Michael Bay, uh, Six Underground. You know, Michael Bay is the one of the biggest targets for kind of getting beat up on in people, you know, from people who talk about movies today, I, I think he's essentially a convenient political target. He is easily seen as, like, not one of us, if kind of we're talking about us being kind of people who are uh, kind of intellectual, brainy movie buffs or would like to be or like to see themselves as that. He's a really easy target. Um, and his, he and his movies are just an easy target that we can all kind of agree are these terrible things we should all beat up on. And it's it seems like it's been already decided. So people, even people who will have good things to say about you know really mediocre and terrible Marvel movies, they all agree that Michael Bay's movies are really bad. Um, I, I like to kind of often compare him to Guillermo del Toro, uh, or Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. I'm pronouncing his name wrong. Uh, but um, del Toro is definitely like one of us. He seems like a really nice guy. He loves old movies. He loves uh, the same type of movies we do. He makes these very personal movies. Even when he's working on a big budget, you can see he has a really personal investment in it. He, he seems really nice. Um, he's this kind of nice humanist guy. And then Michael Bay is very much not one of us. He seems like a huge D-bag. His movies are super materialistic. They're all about consumption. They have probably terrible values. And, you know, he's making these movies about toys. Um, don't seem very personal. Yet I think, you know, if you compare them as filmmakers, Bay is about a thousand times better filmmaker than Del Toro. Um, he's just a dynamic uh, filmmaker. He's thinking in terms of, of images and telling story through through pictures and sound. Del Toro, I think, is a, has a great design sense, but I think he has very little narrative sense. The, his stories are flat. They are very uh, one note. They kind of hit you over the head and put you to sleep at the same time. It's a, in, kind of an impressive combination in, in one sense. You know, um, 
I, I don't, I, you know, uh, part, part of the problem, again, defending Michael Bay is I don't think all his movies are great. I think the first Bad Boys movie is pretty lousy, and Pearl Harbor, I think, I, I haven't seen it since it came out, but I, I think it's pretty bad. But on the other hand, you have movies like Pain and Gain, which I think is one of the great movies of the century. Um, it's just this great, uh, you know, dumb, dumb, dumb comic caper movie or dumb, dumb crime movie. And uh, I, I think it holds up, or I think you could put it next to some of the Coen Brothers movies in that genre, and it kind of holds up uh, with them as being uh, as important example of that genre as their movies. It has um, a very kind of William Wellman-like um, uh, quality to it that it takes on all these different issues or, or subjects that are related to the way we live now, but does so in a very offhand way. So Pain and Gain, I think, is great. Six Underground, I don't think is that good, but I think it's pretty good. Um, it feels very much, first of all, the work of a young man. It's a very lively movie. It doesn't feel uh, sclerotic at all. It doesn't feel um, kind of weighed down by someone who's been, been just doing this too long. It seems really fresh and original and pretty exciting. Uh, definitely more interesting to me than anything that's come from Marvel in terms of the filmmaking and in terms of uh, the action sequences. You know, uh, one thing people, I think, forget is, you know, there's no one way to do action. So some people will get very hung up on, like, well, all action has to be very, you know, that's really relying on, like, this geographical fidelity. Like, we really need to have a good sense of space, and that's what great action movies kind of really support that and you you know where everyone is at the same time and there's definitely something to be said for that and you look at the best um some of the great jackie chan action sequences and that's very clear like there's a lot of fast movement of the actors and the performers but the the filmmaking is very clear like where everyone is and it relies on your understanding kind of the the geography of the setting but then there's movies more like you can think of something like the Bourne movies where the that's not as important as putting over an impression of what it feels like to be in the action. They, I think, um, moves back and forth very quickly uh, between those two things. And also he's, his action sequences really are much more, they are more about the visual rhythm, visual rhyming. I think you are able to understand kind of what's going on and, and you get a sense of the tactics, but it is more about the... Um, it's, it's more along the lines of that impressionistic side than, uh, than the, the kind of geographical naturalism. But in this movie, there's an example of a number of really terrific action sequences where you really do have a, can follow along and there's multiple characters doing different actions and you, you don't really lose track of it. Um, I, there's a great car chase at the beginning that has a, just really kind of keeps adding to it and adding in different elements you know you've got people in different cars you've got kind of people on foot who are engaged in it too uh it has a great kind of uh, kind of a capper to it that is thematically appropriate and, and kind of unexpected there's a really terrific sequence in the middle that has all these great kind of really um this is kind of michael bay one of my favorite things he does these uh, vertiginous like high-rise scenes where uh you know we're, we're dealing with um, the possibility of falling from great heights, which he's, he's pretty great at. There's a great sequence in Terminator, uh, sorry, Transformers 3, the Transformers Dark of the Moon that has a, a similar high-rise high sequence like this. But this is, so this is along those lines. Um, 
And then the final sequence, I think, is a final action sequence, is a better superhero fight than I've seen in any Marvel superhero movie. Probably full stop. And in, in better than any Marvel superhero movie fight scene. And um, there's even a kind of a use of a superpower that's very visually inventive and, and also tactically very cool. So the, the actual tactics of the superpower plays into how it how it uh, rolls out and that's not something you see in the Marvel movies which tend to be pretty not very thoughtful about um, those type of issues so I think it's just kind of a smart movie it's a visually interesting movie uh, in, in terms of smart in terms of the the action sequences um, not but the plot is is uh, maybe not so much it's it seems like a little bit like second-rate Shane Black and has that kind of a blend of comedy and sentimentality that rubs some people the wrong way, but I think it's fine. It's not quite as sharp as Shane Black, uh, Shane Black's screenplays are, but it's along those lines. It is a very much in the thematically and um, attitude-wise very much a 1990s action movie. So that's uh, may also not be everyone's cup of tea, but in terms of the filmmaking, I think it's really aces. And uh, the only problem is that, and one of the reasons I put off watching it so long is that it, it's not, in, it wasn't in theaters. I would have loved to have seen it on the big screen, but now that no one can see anything in theaters right now, I thought it was an appropriate uh, movie to watch. So Six Underground, it's on Netflix, I recommend it. The other movie I want to talk about, and maybe for some people this will be, you know, going from the ridiculous uh, to the sublime, is a movie that's currently streaming on the Criterion channel for another couple days. It is the Jean-Pierre Melville movie, Army of Shadows. And uh, last month, uh, for a couple months, they had all of Jean-Pierre Melville's movies on Criterion Channel, and now they're, they're slowly taking them away. And I've worked my way through uh, either watching for the first time or re-watching all of them, all of the features, except I did not re-watch The Red Circle. I missed it out. Uh, I missed out on it. Um, so... I have seen The Red Circle a couple times, but uh, I've seen Army of Shadows before too. But um, anyways, uh, re-watching it, I'll silence my phone here. Uh, re-watching it, I uh, was thinking about a couple things uh, with Army of Shadows. And one is, you know, Melville has a lot of great movies um, uh, starting from the beginning. Like uh, Les Enfants Terribles, which is a great, amazingly directed movie. It's a, you know, world historically great movie. But it's really a Jean Cocteau movie. Um, Bob Flambeur is one of the great crime movies of all time. But he's also sort of one of these guys who not only made great movies, but he, I think he almost invented. It's always hard to say someone invented it because someone's like, well, someone else did this first, or he's some, you know, he's really borrowing from X, Y, or Z, and so that's true. But he. I think you should get credit for perfecting or uh, being the conduit through which this, this kind of genre or subgenre of of movies um, kind of passed on to the next generation of filmmakers. And, and that genre is this, I, I want to, the word existential is overused, uh, but these existential crime movies. So movies where criminals are seen as... Um, movies where criminals are used allegorically uh, for kind of existential, in, in this kind of existential dilemma. So the we're, we're supposed to watch movies like Le Delos or uh, Le Samurai, I guess the main one, uh, the, the big one, where we're not, you know, Le Samurai is about a, a hitman and we're supposed to 
we're not supposed to approve of him being a hitman or that he's killing people, but we're supposed to admire his ethics and his honor and his code of his, his kind of the honor among thieves and the kind of code that they have. He made a, a number of those movies. So those two, he made the uh, Le Deuxième Souffle and um, uh, The Red Circle. And, you know, the, the, they're all pretty interesting. I think they're good movies. Uh, I think some of them are great movies. They have this, they have the, like I say, they have this influence on movies that came after, like John Woo's movies about, you know, Honorable Hitman and Walter Hill's great movie, The Driver. Uh, Heat, uh, Michael Mann, Thief and Heat, you know, all kind of come out of this school. So I uh, think he deserves a lot of credit. He's kind of an interesting guy. And if you, one way, I've always thought about those movies in a way, or one, one thing I think about them, and it's not unique to me, other people have said this too, is that the, the subtext for them is that, you know, they're, they're coming out of a, they're about criminals, but they're really about his reaction to the French resistance. So they're, they're being in occupied France and being a part of the resistance. And the, the thieves and the criminals are meant to kind of stand in for members of the resistance and are, you know, have that allegorical sense that they are, they've got to stick to a code. You need to stick to a code even when the whole world around you is um, falling apart or is, 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 you know, you're in a state of war. You need to stick to that code. And that's what those movies are about. Uh, so Army of Shadows is interesting because it's very similar to the, these crime movies. Um, and it has a lot of the same actors uh, as his crime movies. But it is actually about the resistance. So in some ways, it's like he took the subtext of those movies and is making a movie now where it's the text. But it is a, a little bit different. It's a very odd movie in a way because it's about the members of the resistance. But... Whereas in the crime movies, we actually see the, 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 the criminal activities are, are shown in some detail, like the, there's this great heist in Unflick, for example, this great train heist that, you know, we, the movie goes into, you know, really a lot of detail on how it, it kind of goes down. Um, there's a big heist in the Red Circle and the, the armored car robbery in Le Deuxième Souffle. So the, all of these movies are really pay a lot of attention to the details about how that how, how, how those things work. In Army of Shadows, we don't see any action by the resistance against the, the Germans or against the occupiers. What we do see are members of the resistance being imprisoned and trying to get out of prison. We see members of the resistance being tortured and interrogated. We see members of the resistance trying to avoid capture. And then most importantly, we see members of the resistance killing uh, traitors to the resistance. So resistant members who've named names or who've given up names, we see, we see those murders. Those are the key things. So it's kind of an interesting movie in that sense that we've, that he's kind of reduced the, kind of reduced the importance of resistance to these, to those things, to not necessarily doing anything, not necessarily fighting the Germans, but rather to maintaining a, a code and trying to, to like live up to this code. I think it's very interesting. It's a powerful movie. Um, I think it's worth seeing. Uh, I could say a lot more about it, but that's kind of mainly what I wanted to say about it today, that it's this, uh, it is a uh, interesting in that respect of, of, when, of what it does with this idea of, of resistance and how it, how it plays off some of his earlier crime movies. So that's what I have to say today. This is today's episode, and uh, I'll be hope hopefully doing a couple 
more of these and hopefully catch up as, as I have time, um, you know, as, as, other, uh, as other obligations allow. So that's all I have for today. Take care.